Blog Talk Radio. Paleo Hebrew. 
I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazapai. And welcome to the show, y'all, man. Welcome to ISBHPK Presents Bible Talk, man. Our little show we've been uh, doing for uh, over 10 years now, man. want to send shouts out to uh, the brother Mashaba, Mighty Mashaba, man, for hooking up the broadcast. Uh, also sending shots out to our brothers here in San Antonio, Ward and crew holding it down over there on Walden, man, cranking out some, some great classes, uh, especially the Sabbath classes, man. Right now they're going over a lot of history regarding the Northern Kingdom. Uh, so shouts out to those brothers. Uh, I also want to send shouts out to our affiliated schools uh, down in H-Town. About to zop in the crew down there. Uh, the brother Kazaki out in Rochester. Uh, I mean, not in Rochester, in um, in VA, man, in uh, Norfolk. Uh, also shouts out to Zalanada in Rochester. New York. Uh, Shouts out to uh, the brothers in Albuquerque. Shouts out to our California uh, new members. And shouts out to Kyle Cobb down in Guatemala, man. I got to make it my business to uh, have a conversation, man. Talk to Kyle Cobb. It's been quite some time since I talked to the brother, man. Well over a year. Uh, Just to check on him and his family, man. See how they're doing. Just to touch touch base with him, man, checking in, you know. Um, so welcome to the show, y'all. If it's your first time tuning in, what I usually do is about an hour of news, current events, uh, whatever's on my mind, touch pod, soapbox. And then I get into the topic, man, entitled Never Wax Pale, The Birth of Christ, and Its Significance, Part 2. I always have a class topic uh, on Tuesdays. Uh, followed by, like I said, the news or current events. Uh, and then uh encourage y'all, too, man, to check out and support uh, Mashaba's broadcast that he does. He's been doing a wonderful series on denying Christ. Uh, man, that one right there is, is be cutting blood on the flow. Uh, check Mashaba out and his broadcast. Also, uh Bod on Fridays, he does his basic classes. And um, my new show, man, my new segment that I got going on on Thursdays entitled FYI, which means for your information, man, um, it's going to be a show pretty much based off of questions and current events, man, where I can dig dig uh, into those current events a little more thorough than what I do the news so it's not rushed. And I spend quite a bit of time elaborating, edifying on uh, those topics, um, I want to say too, man, the water, the water, the water, which means thank you in the Paleo Hebrew to all the brothers and sisters that have been sending up prayers, man, for me and uh, regarding my health, man. I just want to keep everybody informed what's going on with me. Um, last Thursday, I had surgery uh, for a hernia that uh I've been, have had that's been plaguing me. And uh right now I'm still recovering, man. It's gonna be a minute before I'm a hundred percent. I ain't gonna front y'all. I'm in uh quite a bit of pain. Um it's uh it's 
I, I would say it's more psychological for me than anything because I can't do the things that I'm accustomed to doing. I'm accustomed to moving around, man. If anybody know me, y'all know me, man. I'm always doing something, man. I'm always moving. Uh, so to sit still like this is uh, it's vexing me. It's vexing me. But at the same time, man, it's a blessing because I've had the opportunity to uh, catch up on some reading, a lot of reading, uh, a lot of research, uh, a lot of news. And I ain't gonna lie, man. I've been I've been binging. I've been binge watching several shows. Uh, but uh, all praise to the Most High, man. Once again, man, the water. Thank you to to you brothers and sisters for praying for me, man. Keeping me on in your mind, um, in your thoughts and your prayers, man. The water, very much, man. All praise to the Most High for uh, bringing me through that, man. Healthy on the other side of it, man. Uh, all praise to the Most High. I want to send shots out to our brothers and sisters, the 12 tribes scattered worldwide. And I do emphasize the worldwide part. I don't want y'all getting caught up in debating the 12 tribe chart. I've said this before. I've heard other people say this. The 12 tribe chart, y'all, was just a blueprint. It was a blueprint. Not saying that all of Israel is on that on that 12 tribe chart. But we know we can rely on it as historical proof, biblical proof to who the Israelites are scattered over here in the Western Hemisphere. Those are facts. Israel has been scattered all throughout the world, all over the globe, man. The scriptures say that we're throughout the four corners of the earth. That's the whole entire globe, man. You read about countless diasporas that the Israelites have went through. Um, I'm attempting to cover that. In the classes that I've been doing, uh, the segment Never Wax Pale, uh, when I go, went and I've been into the northern captivities of uh, Israel uh, and explained where they ended up. Uh, some of us stayed. Uh, also, man, like I say, man, check a war out in his class. Uh, he's been doing uh, on the Sabbath, man, dealing with the northern kingdom and its captivities. And I believe he's about to get into it as he, if he hasn't already got into how uh, they migrated. A lot of us migrated over here uh, to the Americas, man. So check that out. Uh, but, man, anyway, shout out to you brothers and sisters, man. Like I said, 12 tribes scattered worldwide. Let me go ahead and get into it, man. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, like I always do. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, man. All praise to the Most High. It's the prayer we need to be sent up on the daily, man, so we can get the hell up out of here, man. And send this prayer up until we get the hell up out of here, man. So let's go to Psalms chapter uh, 118, verse 24. Let's get that one. Psalms chapter 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice. And be glad in it. No doubt, man. 
Good or bad, happy, sad, the most high brought you to it. He'll bring you through it, and you will come out better on the other side of it. No doubt, man. We glory in tribulation. We glory in trials, man. That's what it's all about, man. Things are designed to take us through the fire and purify us and make us better, man. Because we still have a lot of impurities in us. We ain't perfect, man. If you run around thinking that you the the the, <laughs> the hot manure, you the hot defecation, just because you got the truth, you better think again, man. The scriptures tell us that our righteousness as, is as filthy rags. And what is what is it? What you call it when a woman be on her uh, administration? <laughs> she be on her rag. So y'all y'all fill in the blank. We ain't we ain't clean, y'all. We still dirty. We're still filthy. And this leads right into what I'm about to read, y'all. So this is from CBS News. <clears throat> Trip off of this. U.S. Shootings on Juneteenth weekend leave at least 12 dead, more than 100 injured. So this nigga holiday, and I did say nigga holiday, that's exactly what it is, is ignorance. This Juneteenth holiday that niggas been celebrating and they made it a damn national holiday, it's such a mockery, man. It really is. Plus, for y'all that's not familiar with Juneteenth, Juneteenth is the holiday that basically started here in Texas, in Galveston, I believe it originated. Uh, the slaves being freed two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Two old years. And they were celebrating this. And it's customary to celebrate this here in Texas with damn uh, big red soda and barbecue. Anyway, they turned to a national holiday sometime around, I guess, when the pandemic uh, was going on. It's a national holiday now, and I guess Esau felt sorry for niggas and wanted to give us something to uh, take our mind off the oppression and the captivity that we're currently in. And if you notice, man, every time they have these type of events, niggas get shocked. And this is infamous amongst our people. This is nothing new. I remember they used to have it. I don't know if they still have it because if you're listening, let me know if they still have the May Day Parade in St. Louis. In St. Louis, the May Day Parade would start, uh, I think it would start somewhere downtown, and then they, I think it ended right at uh, Natural Bridge and Kings Highway, uh, right there by the castle lot. Um, but that parade, somebody would always get their ass whooped or get shot at the May Day Parade. And I've been a few times uh, when I was younger, I was a kid, it was less violent. I'm a 70s kid, so it was less violent in the 70s. But, man, by the time uh, I reached, like, teenage years, you know, uh, late 80s, early 90s, man, it was niggas dying every year at that damn parade, man. I ain't lying. And I, I wouldn't go because... And it was a, a, a good place to hang out and see people you ain't seen in a while. And you know, that's the thing about us, man. We love seeing each other. It's just in us. You know what I'm saying? 
So when you read the scriptures, it, how the Most High tell us to love each other, you know, love the neighbors, you love yourself. Uh, wow, here it is, right here. The water, cause he says, different route though, shootings and fighting again. No man, no doubt. <laughs> that's 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 consistent. That's that's what it's gonna be, man. Niggas gonna be niggas. But like I was saying at the water for that, cause. Like I was saying, we love seeing each other. This is why we're always congregating somewhere, because it's in our spirit, it's in our nature. That's why the Most High gave us the high, high, the high holy days in Leviticus chapter 23, because it's all about us seeing each other and congregating. We love seeing each other, man, and that's a beautiful thing. But the sad part about it is we hate each other. That's the sad part about it. What'd you say? It was shootings at festivals yesterday, too. Oh, wow, I didn't know they had festivals yesterday. Wow. Yeah, man. And our people, man, like I say, let let me finish reading this article. It says shootings on Juneteenth weekend leave at least 12 dead, more than 100 people injured. And this is from uh, June 19th. So it reads, mass shootings in communities across the U.S. have killed at least 12 people since Friday and injured more than 100, CBS Chicago's Charlie D. Moore reported. The shootings follow a rise of homicides and other violence over the past several years that experts say accelerated during the coronavirus pandemic. Shootings with multiple people Killed or wounded happened in suburbs Chicago, Washington State, Central Pennsylvania, St. Louis, Idaho, Southern California, and Baltimore, among other places. So that ain't it. So right below this uh, segment or this paragraph I just read, it has a map of the mass shootings that took place since Friday. And apparently Monday, according to my cousin Devin, <laughs> mass shooting since Friday. And it starts in the uh, northwest part of the country. This is Quincy. I guess this is Washington. Uh, then it has, what is this, Kellogg, Idaho, Carson, California, then it has, uh, yeah, the one in uh, La Corsi, Wisconsin. And I heard something happened in Milwaukee also. Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Will- Willowbrook, Illinois. St. Louis, Missouri. Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, Clifton, New Jersey. Hold up. Yeah, Clifton, New Jersey. Philadelphia. Baltimore, Greenville, North Carolina, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Charleston, North Carolina, and Decatur, Georgia. So these are all the places that these Juneteenth shootings happen. Us, killing us, man, hating us as usual. It says, there is no question there's been a spike in violence, said Daniel Najan a professor of public policy and statistics 
at Carnegie Mellon University. Some of these cases seem to be just disputes, often among adolescents, and those disputes are played out with firearms, not with fists. So, <clears throat> oh, man. Sorry, y'all. Excuse me. <clears throat> so far this year, more than 800 children and teenagers have been killed by guns, which include homicides and suicides. <clears throat> according to the Gun Violence Archives. Looking at CDC data, a report this month by the John Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Solutions found 2021 set a record for the most deaths ever, 48,830 gun-related deaths. Of those, 20,958 were homicides, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Josh Hallwitz, the center's co-director, said states and federal government need to redouble their efforts to stop gun violence. That ain't going to happen. <clears throat> Quote, we also think limiting access to firearms in public is important, he said. And, of course, investing in community violence intervention programs will pay dividends and save lives. No, it won't, man. The only thing going to save lives is if you wake our people up to who they are and who they belong to and what they should be doing as a people, as a nation. But what we're met with when we go out and tell our people is, oh, y'all racist. <clears throat> y'all a hate group. That's what we're met with. I'm sorry, y'all. Excuse me for a second. Nature call. I'll be right back. Y'all, I'm back. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let me jump down a little bit, man. So one of the weekend shootings took place in Willowbrook, Illinois, where at least 23 people were shot. One fatally early Sunday in the sub- suburb Chicago parking lot where hundreds of people had gathered to celebrate Juneteenth, authorities said. The uh, Poopage County Sheriff's Office uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the DuPage County Sheriff's uh, Office described a peaceful gathering that suddenly turned violent as a number of people fired multiple shots into the crowd. 
Mariah Dixon, 23, was shot in the knee and hit under a car. She told CBS News her life has been changed forever. All right, so that happened in Chicago. Uh, In Washington State, two people were killed and two others were injured when a shooter began firing randomly into a crowd. It seems like the same crap happened in both incidents. People just shooting into the crowd. That's what they're saying. In In central Pennsylvania, a state trooper was killed. Damn. And the second critically wounded just hours apart on Saturday after a gunman attacked a state police barracks. Whew. Ain't know that. Uh, Lieutenant James Wagner, 45, was critically, critically wounded when he was shot after encountering the suspect several miles away in uh, Mifflatown. Uh, all right. What else we got? Another shooting unfolded in the downtown St. Louis office building where a social gathering was being held early Sunday, killing a 17-year-old and wounding 11 other teenagers. The city's police commissioner said St. Louis Metropolitan Police Commissioner Robert Tracy identified the victim who was killed as, uh, what is this, Makio Moore. A spokesman said a minor who had a gun, a handgun was in police custody as a person of interest. Oh, my goodness, man. Man, the most high has got to be shaking his head. When he see us down here, his children acting like damn idiots, killing each other, man. I mean... Y'all, we got to start looking at things uh, from the perspective of the most high, man. How would you feel if your kids was killing each other as a father, as a parent? How would that make you feel? You know, I feel terrible, man. I hate when my kids be around here fighting, especially when they be fighting over petty crap. Fighting in general is bad, but you fighting over petty crap, and they get the one to uh, put hands on each other like they some niggas on the street or something, like they don't know each other. That upsets me. Just imagine how the most high feel his children are killing themselves. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 5, man. <clears throat> Let me start at verse 13. It says, therefore, my people are gone into captivity. And we are. But like I said, man, that, that's a hard sell to try to sell to our people. Because our people think they in damn heaven, man. They think that America is the end all be all. They really have that American mindset, and you cannot pull them out of it. So let me read this again. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13. Therefore, my people are going into captivity. Now, listen to this. This is the biblical definition of what captivity is. It says, because they have no knowledge. So being in captivity is not just a physical displacement. A physical captivity, it's also a mental Captivity, a mental displacement. This is, I don't know if y'all ever read that book by uh, Carter G. Woodson. They changed the cover of it. I like the, the change of the cover, but it's, um, come on, tell us, what's the name of the book? It's, uh, oh man, Carter G. Woodson, uh, The Miseducation of the Negro. That's the name of it. On the cover, there's a sister on the cover with uh, a chain and a lock around her brain. And I thought that was powerful because a picture's worth a thousand words. 
So everybody think about slavery and the effects that it had on us physically, right? But who thinks about the effects that it's had on us psychologically? And that's what the brother, whoever changed the cover, was implying, man, that we're still slaves mentally. And the Bible proves that. It's all in the Bible. Let me read this again. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13. Therefore, my people are going into captivity because they have no knowledge. So to be in captivity, according to the Bible, is you ain't got no knowledge. And that's what we are. We don't know who the hell we are as a people. We just think we're just a bunch of niggas that's supposed to go out, listen to loud music, smoke weed, get drunk, and women shake their ass, and we kill each other. That's all we think we work. It says, and their honorable men are famished. Famished means you're, you're dying of hunger. You know, you ever heard somebody, man, I'm famished. You know, it's talking about hunger. But this ain't talking about, like, a, a digestive hunger where you're just hungry, you want to eat something. It's talking about a mental hunger, a spiritual hunger. It says their honorable men are famished. Meaning what? Our honorable men, our leaders, they don't have no damn answers. They ain't got no answers. You go to whoever it is, whatever reverend it is these days, and ask them, okay, how are we going to get our people to stop killing each other? I don't know. <laughs> Why can't our people come together? I don't know. What should our people be doing? I don't know. Or they say some clown crap that they've been saying since the damn 60s. We got to march. We got to vote. How long we been marching and voting and niggas is still killing each other at national holidays, so-called national holidays. This is what voting has done for niggas, for black and brown people. I know a lot of people might be cringing when I say niggas, but I got to get my point across because that's what we act like. Case in point, the article I just read, Shooting and killing each other. Anyway, back to the scripture. Let me read it again. Isaiah 5.13. Therefore, my people are going into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished. They ain't got no ideas, no clues on how to get black and brown people out of the muck that they're in. It says, and their multitude dried up with thirst. And as a result of this, because the leaders ain't got no damn answers, we ain't got no answers. Our people ain't got no answers. They're dying for answers. That's why it says they're thirsty. It says verse 14. Now, because of all of this, because our people are going to have no knowledge, and they're in this is the capt- captive state with no knowledge, no answers, listen to this, verse 14, therefore hell has been lost herself. So this is showing you two things. It's showing you what captivity is, according to the Bible. It's more than just physical. And it's also showing you that hell is not limited to just a physical place, man. Hell is a mind state. It's a condition. I'm going to read it again, verse 14. Therefore, hell hath then lost herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude, their pomp, and he that rejoice shall descend into it. And what was our people doing over this weekend? Rejoicing, celebrating, celebrating supposedly being released from captivity two years later. 
celebrating that. And as a result, what? Now everybody's living hell. Because look at all the families that were affected, that their, their kids got shot or lost their lives trying to celebrate some damn slavery. Come on, man. Our people are really simple. Verse 15. And the mean man, I'm sorry, I didn't want to on verse 15. Uh, let me get Deuteronomy 28, 2854. So this is, this is where, uh, why our people are in hell. In this condition, the Most High put us in this condition, and this is why. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and let me start at verse, let me read verse 47. Because thou, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. So this is, listen to what we're saying, because we don't serve with joyfulness and gladness for the abundance of all things. Therefore shall I serve thy enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee. So this is part of the curses, right? But the point I want us to focus on is we're getting cursed or we're living this curse because we don't want to serve the most high. And to serve the most high means what? Love your neighbors, you love yourself, man. I'm not going to do anything to you that I don't want done to me. I ain't going to steal nothing from you. I ain't going to take your woman, try to sleep with her. I ain't going to steal nothing that belongs to you. I ain't going to be envious of you because you got something I ain't got. This, 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 that's the whole premise of the Bible and the commandments, man, basically. But the Most High said that because we didn't want to do this, this is why we're cursed as a people. Now, let me jump down to verse 54. That's the point I want to get to. So that the man that is tender among you, and very delicate. Now, what this is referring to is us. Once upon a time, we had a general, uh, uh, authentic, sincere love for one another. You know, I remember even back in my time growing up in St. Louis, man, it was no thing, man, to walk down the street, wherever you was at, and you see another brother or another sister, whoever it was, you just see another black person, and it was customary to say, hey, what's up, or how you doing, or good morning, or good, whatever. You always greeted him, whether you knew him or not. And you would refer to him as brother or sister. We loosely refer to each other as that, but we're actually blood relatives according to the Bible. But there was a time where we did that. We don't do it no more. Now we just mean mug the hell out of each other, don't even speak. Especially here in San Antonio, man. I talk about this all the time, man. This was the thing that blew my mind when I got down here. Niggas down here, black people down here, really don't speak to each other. And then you speak to them, and they look at you like you're crazy. I I didn't get that, man. Especially where I'm living out here in the suburbs. I see black people out here, man. And they'll look at me like, nigga, what you doing out here? <laughs> Like, nigga, you ain't supposed to be out here with me. I tried to get away from you. What, why are you out here with me? <laughs> that, that's the reception that we get out here. We see other black people. Some. Some of us cool, man. Generally have a love for each other. But most of us, no. But the scriptures told us this. Let me read this again. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 54. 
so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil towards his brother. And that's where we at, man. That's where we at. That's why we in hell. Because we didn't want to love each other. Most times, like, okay, okay, cool. Y'all don't want to love each other. I'm fixing so y'all hate each other. And this is why you got all them damn Juneteenth shootings going on over the weekend. Because our people hate each other because the Most High put this curse on us. Verse 54 again. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil towards his brother. We don't have that genuine love for each other anymore. Those days are over, y'all. Sadly to say, now let's get Isaiah chapter 30. Yeah, you can't even get that genuine love amongst other Israelites, sadly to say. And then they are trying to show people Deuteronomy 28 about the curses <laughs> when they're they're displaying the curses that are on us. I guess they, they are indirectly teaching because the, the scriptures say you can do nothing against the truth before the truth. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 30. And I'm starting at verse 1. I'm going to jump a little bit. Isaiah 30 and 1. Woe to the rebellious children, said the Lord. The word woe means destruction. Who's the rebellious children? Us, the children of Israel, his children. It says, woe to the rebellious children, said the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. Counsel is advice. We'll take advice from everybody, especially America. What's America's advice? Oh, just vote. Vote your way out of it. That's America's advice. Uh, write your senator. Write your congressman. Uh, who is your alderman? That's that's America's advice. But that ain't going to change nothing. Our people just will not understand that our mentality has to be changed first and foremost. It tells you that in the book of Romans chapter 12, man. It says that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. A transformation means a complete 360, a completely different way of doing things. Because the way we've been doing things, it don't work. Read this again, Isaiah 31. Woe to rebellious children, said the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. We don't take the most high advice. We'll take everybody else's advice, our mama's advice, our daddy's advice, the, uh, the OG advice. We'll take everybody's advice, but not the advice of the Most High, which is his word, that being the Bible. It says, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. The covering is your protection. You know, like when you was a little kid, you had bad nightmares, and you get up under the covers, right? The covers going to protect you. That's what the covering is. It's your protection. The Most High said that we're not covering with his protection, we're using all other means of protection to protect ourselves. It says, in that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. And this is what all we're doing. When we don't choose the most high for our covering and take his advice, all we're doing is just adding more sin to sin. We're making our conditions worse, worse than what they are. Now, verse 8, it says, now go. Write it before them in a table 
and noted in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. So the Moses I said, write this down. Put it in the book. You know what that book is? It's the Bible. And the Bible has withstood the test of time. This book is going to be here forever. Even when Christ's kingdom comes, we still going to have what? The Bible. The, the instruction manual. It says, now go and write it before them in a the table and note it in the book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, verse 9, that this is a rebellious people. This can't be talking about nobody else but us. We some rebellious, stubborn-ass people. It says, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Man, our people will not listen to the Bible for nothing. Oh, that book, that's just a book. It's just got words in it. Oh, you're going to live your life by that? Why? That don't even make sense. God, this is what I hear all the time. God gave you a brain, though, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. The scriptures tell us in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart's talking about the mind, talking about the brain. Our brains are deceitful as hell. We need an instruction manual. You why the most high had to give us the commandments, because we, we was doing it wrong. We know what the hell we was doing. So it says that we are rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, now watch this, verse 10, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets. So a seer is somebody that can see what's coming. You know, Scripture says that a prudent man foresees the evil and hide itself from it. A seer is somebody that can see the way you're going, the way you're doing things is wrong. And they'll warn you, and then our people say what? It says, see not. Don't see what I'm doing. It says, answer the prophets. Prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Deceit. Our people like to be lied to. Oh, you know what? You really ain't that bad. Oh, you know what? Yeah, God loves everybody, no matter what. Man, religion got y'all coming and going. Religion teaches that you won't see that nowhere in the Bible where the most high love is unconditional. Ain't no damn such thing as unconditional love, y'all. I hope y'all understand this. And I did a whole class about this, man. Love is an investment. Love is a, a give-take sort of thing. And think about it, man. Why do you love your woman? You love your woman because she in order, because she do what you tell her to do. You love her because she, she looks out for you. And why does she love you? Because you look out for her. She knows she can count on you for whatever you might bring to the table. And it can be something as simple, man, I love you because of the good foods you make. I love you because you're my protection. I love you because you never told me nothing wrong. I love you because you tell me the truth. I mean, love is an investment. Why do you love your kids? You love your kids because they they're obedient. They do what the hell you tell them to do. They good. That's what makes them good boys and good girls, man. That's why you love them. Love is an investment, y'all. It's not just a damn emotion. People got stuff messed up about love, man. Anyway, we know. It says that our people uh, want to hear the smooth things. Man, they want to lay our people like being lied to, verse 10. Verse 11, it says, get you out of the way. Turn the side of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Our people don't want to hear nothing about the Most High. They don't want to hear nothing about Christ. 
all they want to hear is you can do what you want to do without uh, any uh, consequences to your actions. Our people just reckless as hell, and they they get mad when you check them and tell them that they reckless. You ever, you ever encounter somebody that just uh, cannot be corrected? Like everything you say that uh, everything you say and show them that they doing wrong, they automatically turn around and point the finger at you. <laughs> you ever encounter somebody like I live with one? <laughs> it's sad, man. It's really sad. Our people will not be corrected, and what you're really essentially dealing with is pride. When somebody refuses to be corrected, and every time you go at them about their shortcomings, they point the finger at you, that's pride. It's pride. And you know what? It's immaturity, especially if this person is in the book and got the Bible. Come on, man. The Bible is a damn open book test. You got the cheat sheet. You got the cheat sheet. Why don't you use it? Why don't you use the answer open book test? Only an idiot would not use the answer on the open book test. Only an idiot would use the book. But this is how our people are, man. Refuse to be corrected, refuse to be checked, refuse to acknowledge when they've done something wrong. Like that, and it, it's, it's really tough. Like a kid, you tell a kid they did something wrong, they just cry, they throw a damn temper tantrum, they fuss and fight, they crying over it. Instead of and I tell to my son this all the time, son, you did wrong. You ain't got to throw a damn tantrum and cry over it. Just don't do it no more. Let's move on with life. But this is an adult. Adults do the same stuff. It's childlike behavior. There's nothing wrong with being damn corrected. Now, of course, it don't feel good when you get corrected. But that don't, just because it don't feel good does not mean it's not good for you. <laughs> That don't mean it ain't good for you because it don't feel good. Anyway, man, I'm running out of time. Let me jump to the next topic, next story I got. All right, y'all. So I had to get this, man. I ran across this. I'm like, what the hell? And I personally, this upset me. Um, It says, and it's from NPR, Germany will pay more than $1.4 billion next year to survivors of Nazi atrocities. Yes, you heard it correct. The German government will pay more than $1.4 billion next year to Holocaust survivors in the latest compensation for atrocities and persecutions inflicted by the Nazis. Yes. So once again, Holocaust survivors is getting money. Why? While black and brown people have been paid no damn attention for the atrocities, persecutions of this damn nation. Now, I'm not saying that damn reparations is the end-all, be-all, because we know the word reparations means to repair. They cannot possibly repair us psychologically, spiritually, or monetarily, for that fact, all the damages they've done to us. The only repair that we can get is Shah coming back, getting us up out of here and putting us in our rightful place, man, as the kings and the queens on the earth that we should be. That's the only reparation. Let me tell you why this upsets me, because these people 
ain't even the real people of the book. And everybody has sympathy for them for being damn imposters. Think about it. If you wasn't posing as something that you wasn't, then you wouldn't have caught the smoke behind it. It's your fault this happened to you. This was the will of the Most High. And I know people are going to say, oh, you, you uh, anti-Semitic, you, uh, you, you uh, not being politically correct, you hate them people. No, I hate liars. I hate liars, man. Give me the truth. If I had to 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 to, to uh, give one solid reason why I don't like Esau, it would be because they lie. The lies they tell, and you know how lies go, man. Once you tell one lie, you got to keep them coming to cover up the first lie or the lie that preceded that one. That's all they do is lie. So now these liars are getting more money for the Holocaust that they basically put themselves through because of stolen identity, something you're supposed to be prosecuted and go to jail for. See how they hypocrites too? Anyway, it says nearly eight, uh, eight, uh, $890 million will go towards uh, home care services, an increasingly vital aspect of the reparation effort as the Nazi victims advance in age, nearly 80 years after the Holocaust ended. The payments stem from annual negotiations between Germans, Federal uh, Ministry of Finance, and the Conference of Jewish Material Claims Against Germany an organization representing Jewish Holocaust survivors, also known as the Claims Conference. The funds were meant to help survivors live in dignity. Decades after, they were persecuted and lost loved ones and property. Every year, these negotiations become more and more crucial. This is a quote. As this last generation of Holocaust survivors age and their needs increase, Red Schillinger, the Claims Conference Executive Vice President, said in a news release about the deal. Money includes direct payments and hardship funds. As of September 2022, an estimated 280,000 Holocaust survivors were living in countries around the world, the Claims Conference said. The money for 2024 includes $535 million in direct payments to survivors, ranging from monthly pensions to a one-time annual payment of 1,250 euros, which is the equivalent of $1,365 per person. So each one, each of these persons that were involved in the Holocaust, these survivors, is getting $1,000 or $1,365. The compensation payments uh, slated for 2024 eclipses the more than 1.6 billion Germany agreed to pay in 2023, man. So it's the gift that keeps giving to Esau. All right, let's get Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 21. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Mm-hmm. 
And it reads, it says, they have moved me to jealousy. This is the most I speak. The day is us. So it says we or they, <laughs> the day is us. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have moved me to anger with their vanity. So this is us and our idolatry, which we're always guilty of, worshiping other gods, other powers. So the Most High said he, that we provoked him to anger with, their, with our vanity and will move them. So because of this, because we pissed the Most High off because we want to worship other deities and other powers, he said because of this, and I will move them to jealousy. So the Most High is going to have us jealous with who? It says with those which are not a people. This, this, this not a people we're talking about is so-called white folks, man. They ain't a people. What's white culture? I'll wait. Their culture is everybody else's culture because they cultural, culturally appropriated it. Culture voters, they stole it. But the Most High said he's going to move us to jealousy with those which are not a people. They're not even a people, man. It says, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation, man. And that's why I said when I read this, I was angered, man. But all this is of the hands of the Most High. You can be angry with the Most High. This is his will. But man, I'm telling you, it, it pricked the nerves. These people are getting, getting some more money? They ain't even the people of the book. But this, this is what the Most High do. This is why the Most High said, he will laugh at our calamities, man, in Proverbs chapter 1. He said he will laugh at our calamities, man. Most high laughing at us. Niggas killing each other over the week. The most high is laughing at us. He said because when he called, when he called we did not answer. Y'all go back and read that, man, Proverbs chapter 1. He said when he called, he, uh, when he called we did not answer. Ain't that something, man? We constantly ignore him, but who the first person we call when we get in trouble? Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Well, you ain't been trying to search after the Most High this whole time, but now he becomes a genie in a bottle when you need him. And he going to make this special, uh, this special appearance just for you because it's you because you're just so special. Nigga, please. We really got the most hot messed up, man. Y'all better open the book. We better open the book and really get to know and understand the most high. And I said we said it correctly because I don't care how long you've been in the book or in this knowledge that we call the truth, man. There's something to learn every time you open that book up. There's a cut waiting for you every time you open the book up. The Bible's a mirror which shows us us. And that's the problem with us. We don't like to see us. Because after, after you out Whitey for all the atrocity he's done and the devil that he really is, then what? Now what? Now you got to work on you. That's what our people don't want to do. We don't want to work on us, man. We see the imperfections in everybody else. That's why when you see brothers going at Esau real hard, you get a lot of crowd participation. A lot of people stop. Listen, check you out, see what you're saying. But the moment we start talking about us, stuff that we doing, man, we ain't trying to hear that. We are not trying to hear that. Not at all. Yeah, you're right. The Bible is a love letter. But the problem is tough love in that letter also. 
And what what our people don't like that tough love. We don't like to hear the truth. We don't like to hear the truth, and that's the tough love. That's the part of the love we don't get. And like I said once again, love is an investment. Look at the investment that the Most High has invested in us. But well, what have we invested in Him? Are we shortchanging the Most High? Are we giving the Most High bare minimum? I know a lot of us are, man, myself included. I mean, we know we can do more. All right, y'all, I've made good time here. I'm going to take a brief, brief intermission, and I'm going to come back with the class title, Never Wax Tail, The Birth of Christ and Its Significance, man. So I'll be back on the other side of this intermission, y'all. So uh, if you've been tuning in, man, I've been doing this segment for quite some time, Never Wax Pale. Uh, and what I've been attempting to do, I hope I, what I hope I've done is inform us that don't know the Bible, that didn't know the Bible, about the history of the Bible and how it is truly a history book. And what I did was I started at the split of the kingdom, which happened around 930 B.C., man. The split of the kingdom of Israel, which Israel was divided into two portions, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom, uh, they went into the Assyrian captivity, which scattered the northern kingdom all throughout the globe, especially here in the Americas. The southern kingdom, 
uh, was scattered in three different captivities, uh, that being the uh, Babylonian captivity, which happened around 586 B.C. under Nebuchadnezzar, uh, also, the Persian Mede captivity, which happened around uh, 538 uh, BC under Cyrus and Darius, and then uh, Alexander the Greek coming in in 333 BC, the other captivity, and the fourth one, sorry, I said three, but it's really four, the fourth captivity of the southern kingdom, that being the Roman Empire happening in the 200s uh, B.C. So, and that's where we are now, y'all. And what I'm going over is uh, the birth of Christ, man. So let's go to Luke chapter 2 and let's start at verse 1. Because last week I covered this a little bit. Last week we went over the, uh, the massacre of the innocents, and that was when Christ was born and how uh, Harroy had issued death warrants for all the uh, newborns that were um, one and uh, one and um, what was the age all the way up to two newborns up to two years old. He had issued a death certificate for them, and they killed a lot of us off, man. A lot of our people were uh, killed as infants. Like I said, they refer to this as the massacre of innocents. And I proved that it actually did happen because a lot, of, a lot of historians say that it didn't happen. Of course, they would say that because they don't want people to know the truth about the Bible, and they don't want people to, to know that it was white people killing black people, man. You know, they, they, they throw a brick and hide their hand, man. That's how Esau's always done. They always try to hide things that they do. Uh, so we covered that last week. And now I want to, like I said, get into the birth of Christ, and we did a little bit of this last week just to give us the historical account of Christ being born that it actually did happen, y'all. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now, this is one of the 12 seasons, and I covered that, y'all, one of the 12 seasons of Rome, seasons Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. Now, it's talking about Christ's father, whose name was Joseph, and they say he went up out of Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea. Now, remember, y'all, Christ was born in Bethlehem, but that's not where he grew up at. That's not where he resided or lived or his family lived. He grew up in a city called Nazareth, and Nazareth was a hood. It was a ghetto, man. It says, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, green, great with child. So what was going on here was Caesar Augustus had issued a declaration where all, everybody had to be taxed. And you had to go back to the city that you were originally from. In this case, they went back to Bethlehem, because that's where originally Joseph and his, his wife Mary were from, to pay their taxes. So... A lot of historians say, man, this cannot be validated. Caesar Augustus never issued 
such a decree, so on and so forth, you know, lying like they always do. So I pulled this article offline. This is uh, unrv.com. And I'm going to start at where it says uh, taxes in the providence. And I read a little bit last week, but I'm going to get back so I could uh, recap and then we can roll on with the class. It says taxes in the providences. With expansion, Roman censors found that accurate census taking in the providence was a, was a very difficult task at best. To ease the strain, taxes were assessed as a type or entire communities on entire communities rather than individuals. So this goes right what we just read about them going back to be taxed as a community. So you had the community that was living, the Jews, the Israelites that were living in Jerusalem, going back to their original cities to be taxed. But reading on, it says tax, tax assessments, and these communities fell under the jurisdictional uh, jurisdiction of providential governors and various local magistrates. Using rules similar to the old system, tax farmers, publicanies were used to collect these taxes from the provincials. Rome, eliminating its own burden for this process, would put the collection of taxes up for auction every few years. The publicani would bid for the right to collect in particular regions and pay the state in advance of this collection. These payments were, in effect, loans to the state, and Rome was required to pay interest back to the publicani. As an offset, the publicani had the individual responsibility of converting properties and goods collected into coinage alleviating this hardship from the treasury. And like I said, I read this last week. Now it's talking about the public candy. The public candy is also known as the publicans. All right. Now let's get, uh, I want to go first. Yeah, let's get this first. Let's get page 414 out of the Zonovan Compact Bible Dictionary. And it reads, this is the definition for publican. Publican, publicani, still the same word, same people, right? It says an undercollector, and that's what it's going into. We just read that out of the article, an undercollector. So he wasn't the official collector, like the article I was reading. The, the publicani was not the official collector. He was basically a contractor. It says an undercollector of Roman revenue of these Three appear to have been two, I'm sorry, there appeared to be two classes. The chief of the publicans, of whom Zacharias is an example, um, the, or, the ordinary publican, so it was two classes of these publicans. They had a chief publican, an official publican, and it says the uh, ordinary publican, the lowest class of this servants, engaged in the collecting of the revenue, and of whom we have an instance in Levi, who was Levi, who was afterwards the apostle Matthew. So Matthew was a publican, man. He was a damn, he was a tax collector, 
right? I want everybody to understand this. Now, let's get some information about these tax collectors. How were they viewed? How were they looked at? Reading on, it says, publicans were hated. Y'all hear this? People hated publicans. They hated tax collectors. Our people in general. Now, watch this. It says, were hated as the instruments by which the subjection of the Jews to the Roman emperors was perpetrated. Y'all see this? Do y'all see this? So Israelites hated the publicans, and once again, Matthew was a publican. So this was us hating ourselves. So publicans were looked at as sellouts. Reading on, it says the publicans of the New Testament were regarded as traitors and apostates, defiled by their frequent intercourse with the heathen and willing tools of the oppressor. Hence, they were classified with sinners, harlots, and the heathen. So our nation looked at publicans as they were just part of the other nation. They were called heathens, even though they were Israelites. So let's get this. Let's get Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3. We're going to come back to Luke, y'all. So let's get Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. And it reads, uh, matter of fact, let me read verse 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all men of sickness and all men of disease. Verse 3, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the publican. So this is a list of the 12 disciples. And Matthew was one of them. He was called a what? A publican. Matthew the publican. So he was a publican. He was a tax collector. Once again, the tax collectors were hated by our people. All right, going back to this article, it says, in the end, the collectors would keep anything in in excess of what they did plus the interest due from the treasury, with the risk uh, being that they might not collect as much as they originally bid, forming proved to be an incredible profitable enterprise and served to increase the treasury. So this was a very lucrative job to have to be a publican. It says, as well as mind the pockets of the public candy. However, the process was right with corruption and scheming. For example, with the profits collected, tax farmers could coddle with local magistrates or farmers to buy large quantities of grain at low rates and hold it in reverse until time of shortage. These publicanies were also money lenders of the bankers of the ancient world and would lend cash to hard-pressed provocals at the exuberant rates of 4% per month or more. So they charge interest on money. I hope everybody's seeing this. So, and remember, they were money lenders or money exchangers. Y'all remember when Christ went in and in the temple and he started flipping tables and stuff over? And he said, uh, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. So that's who was in there. It was Israelites in there. And remember what they was doing. They were selling animals for uh, your sin sacrifice. They were, make, they were profiting off of sin, basically. 
So this this was these people that was doing that. Now reading on this article, it says the uh, Emperor Augustus changes the tax system. This is the part I want to get to, because in Luke it said that he put this decree out, right? Which the historians say that this never happened, but that's a damn lie. So it says reading on in the late first century BC. And after considerable more Roman expansion, Augustus essentially put an end to tax forming. Complaint, com, uh, com, complaints from publicals for excessive, ex, excessive assessment and large unpayable debts ushered in the final days of this lucrative business. The publicani continued to exist as money lenders and entrepreneurs, but easy access to wealth through through tax was gone. Tax forming was replaced by direct taxation early in the empire, and each providence was required to pay a wealth tax of about 1% and a flat poll tax on each, ad- on each adult. I hope y'all are listening. On each adult. So each adult was required to pay taxes. So this is why in Luke, let me read this again, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. I'm sorry, let me start at verse 1. Yeah, let me start at verse 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with, with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So why did Mary go? Because she had to go. Because remember what I just read. I'm going to read this again in the article. It says, tax forming was replaced by direct taxation early in the empire, and each providence was required to pay a wealth tax of about 1%, and the flat pole tax on each adult. So every adult had to pay taxes. It wasn't no, uh, like to this day and age, we married, so we file our taxes together. Individual taxes then. That's why Mary had to go with Joseph. So this proves the biblical account of the taxation of Augustus Caesar. I hope everybody's seeing this, man. The Bible's a real book. You know, this new procedure, of course, requires regular census taking, regular census taking to alleviate the taxable number of people and their income wealth status. So how would you regularly do do a census? The same way it's done now, what they do, I think, every four years now, so they probably did it maybe every four years or every year back then. It was a regular thing. This was nothing uh this was nothing that was uh, special or nothing that was uh, different or fabricated, man. This all happened. It says taxation in this environment switched mainly from one from one of owned property and wealth to that of an income tax. As a result, the taxable yields vary greatly based on economic conditions, but theoretically the process was fair and less open to corruption. All right, that's all I want to get from that, y'all. I think we can pretty much understand that the Bible is a 
definitely a reliable source, source of information. Now, let me see where I want to go next. Uh, let me see. Oh, uh, yeah, still dealing with the publicans. So we got to understand how Israelites felt about the publicans. So let's get Matthew chapter 18, and let's start at, uh, man. Let's go to verse 15. It says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him. Now, listen to the context. If your brother, now, this was uh, Christ speaking to Israelites. So if another Israelite trespassed against you, it says, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And he shall, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I mean, if he if he uh, listens to what you got to say, then you get a brother, right? Y'all can make peace. Verse sixteen. Now watch this. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So get a witness. Verse seventeen. And if he shall not, and if, and if he shall neglect to hear them, so if he still ain't listening, tell it unto the church. So now. If he wouldn't listen to the witnesses you brought, now you got to get a whole group of people, a whole congregation, and put this dude on blast in front of everybody. Now listen to this. But if he neglects to hear the church, so if he neglects to hear the church, if he neglects to take ownership for the trespass he's done, the wrong he's done against you, it says, let him be unto thee as an heathen, which means a nation, a heathen man, and the publican. So what's significant about this? What's significant about this is you have an Israelite that could be treated like a nation even though he was an Israelite. I want you to understand this. So they looked at the publican as a what? Like he was from another nation even though he was an Israelite. And once again, Matthew the publican was an Israelite, but he was looked at like he was from another nation, that being the nation of the Romans, man, the nation of the Edomites. All right, Matthew 21, verse 31. It says, Whether is them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publican and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. What publicans was he talking about? He was talking about the Israelites. He wasn't talking about the damn Romans. He was talking about Israelites that grew up in Roman providences and had uh, jobs worked for the Romans. This is what he was talking about. So he was saying that they're going to go into the kingdom. And he said before you, he's talking about the Pharisees. Now, let's get Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Matthew 11, verse 19, and it reads, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified with children. Now, what I'm trying to show y'all, man, is the uh, backstory and all the stuff that was going on during the time of Christ that's significant to his birth and significant to history. So you had Israelites 
that had assimilated and took jobs working for the Romans. It'd be no different now than you have a brother that's a, a police officer or he's in the military, you know, which we had even back then. So when you hear those stories and you read those stories about how Christ, um, about how Christ healed that uh, that soldier's daughter, it wasn't it wasn't even talking about he was from another nation. He was an Israelite, y'all. So these are very important points I want us to understand. Now let's go to Luke. Let's go back to Luke, chapter two. I want to point this out as well. So Luke chapter 2, and what verse I want to start at? Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the sea of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, the point I want us to understand and, and what I'm trying to make, the point I'm trying to make right here, is that Galilee was in the northern kingdom, y'all. Galilee was part of the northern kingdom. So you had the southern kingdom, Judah, Benjamin, have tribe of Levi, and then you had the northern kingdom, excuse me, which consists of Ephraim, uh, Manasseh, Gad, Reuben, Nathalie, Issachar, Zebulon, um, and the rest of those tribes. But this is where Christ grew up at. So you still had Israelites that were where? That were still living in the northern kingdom. All of us did not leave. I want us to understand this because you hear some brothers say, well, all of us left out of the northern kingdom. That is not so. That ain't the truth. Let's get Micah chapter 5 and verse 1. And this is important to remember also, man, when you start reading stories about um, things that took place in the northern kingdom, because this is how they try to say, see, Christ taught the Gentiles and he died for the Gentiles, and that is not so. So this is a very important important part of history, y'all. Micah chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now gather thyself some troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So the judge, this talking about Yahweh Shah, this talking about Christ. Because they did smite him. They beat the hell out of Christ. The day being the nation of the Edomites, who uh, were going around being known as Romans, is they are the day that's talking about. Now watch this verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to bear rule, I'm sorry, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old. From everlasting. So this is the prophecy about Christ coming. But listen, it says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be the, among the thousands of Judah. So Christ was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised where? He was raised in the city called Nazareth, which was in a province named, uh, known as Galilee. Y'all see this? 
he grew up in the northern kingdom. I want everybody to understand this. So that means what? That it was still northern kingdom Israelites that was still there. And remember, and I went over this, uh, John Hycranus's children had went back and reclaimed a lot of that territory from the Edomites and the other nations that was living there and repopulated with Israelites. So by the time you get to Christ, you got the north, a lot of the northern kingdom tribes back in the northern kingdom, man. All right, let's get Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to keep proving this. So what I'm going over now, y'all, is proving that there were northern uh, kingdom tribes living in the northern kingdom during the time of Christ. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Why? Because he lived down there. It says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulon and Nathalium. It's talking about Zebulon and Nathalium. So this is where Christ ended up. He was in the borders of those cities. Y'all see this? These northern kingdom tribes were still there. Read on. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by uh, Elias, the prophet saying, the land of Zebulon and the land of Nathalium by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Why was it called Galilee of the Gentiles? Because you had Israelites. That was there, but it was also who? Gentiles that was there mingled amongst Israel, man. It says, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. So this is a, a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, let me keep reading. We're going to read the verse 25. We're going to jump back and forth. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So who else was hanging out in the northern kingdom's territory? The disciples, who were also Israelites. Verse 19. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightforward left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, many in their nets, and he called them. I'm sorry, and he, yeah, he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, all Galilee, which was where? In the northern kingdom, teaching in their synagogues. You see this? Because the other nations didn't set up synagogues. We set up synagogues. That's a house of worship for the Israelites, the Jews. So Christ was teaching in the northern kingdom in synagogues or in uh, uh, sanctuaries. It says, and preaching the gospel, the and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. What people? the Israelites that were residing in those places. I hope everybody is seeing this. 
you still had northern kingdom brothers and sisters there. Verse 24. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and those that had the palsy. And he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapios and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan, man. So Christ was all throughout Israel. This is why he did so much traveling, man. He was locating those Israelites that were still there in those places. Luke chapter 2 now. And I'm going to read verse 21. And it reads, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, it's talking about Yahushua Christ, so eight days were finished, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. The her is talking about his mama Mary. Now it was t- it's talking about her purification. So let me read the rest of it. Then we're gonna find out what this purification is. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. All right. So what purification was it talking about that Mary was going through? So let's get uh, Leviticus chapter twelve. Let me go start at verse one. What purification? Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speaking to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman hath conceived a seed, I mean, if she gave birth, and born a man child, so she had a, a boy, then she shall be unclean seven days. So this was the law of Moses. It's talking about the New Testament. This woman was going to be unclean for seven days. It says, according to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. And think about it. After a woman gives birth, it's a nasty thing, y'all. I've witnessed this several times. It's a lot of uh, bacteria, fluids, all kind of stuff that come out, and then the woman bleeds. For probably about a month So this is what it's talking about We know And in the eighth day The flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised We just read it in the New Testament So if it's a boy The eighth day he's got to be circumcised Now listen to this verse 4 And she shall then continue in the blood Of her purifying Three and thirty days So thirty-three days she's unclean She shall Shall Touch no hollow thing, no holy thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification be fulfilled. So she couldn't go into the sanctuary or place of worship until she was clean. She was, was technically unclean. That's why she couldn't go into the sanctuary. Now watch this. Let's go back to Luke now, chapter 2, verse 22. 
It says, and when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. Now, remember, we just read that purification in uh, Leviticus chapter 12. And how many days was that? It was 33 days. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. It says, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. So this was the offering that had to be offered when? After Mary was uh, was cured from her, uh, or not cured, but after her purification process, her getting cleaned up. I hope everybody can see this. It says, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon or Simeon. And the the same man was just and devout, waiting for the constellation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, two things I want to bring out here, y'all. Mary is indeed following the law that was issued by Moses in Leviticus chapter 12 about a woman being unclean. If she had a man child, it also goes into her into a woman being unclean for a female child, which is longer days, a long and period of time. But what I also want to bring out here is that Yahweh Christ was a man who had a lineage. And the Catholics always try to go into Mary, the Virgin Mary, her being this, her being that. But this is the supposed Virgin Mary being unclean. She ain't the purest of pure. How is she the purest of pure and she's unclean? How is Christ coming out of a spirit when his mama's got all the uh, bacteria and fluids that came about of her from birth? How is he even having this if he was a spirit? That don't make no sense. But read on. Verse 25 again. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the constellation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was waiting for the redemption of Israel. That's what constellation means. It says, verse 26, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord, the Lord's Christ, or the Lord's anointed. That's what Christ means. It says, verse 27, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. <clears throat> what was he saying? He said, man, I've seen who the Savior is. I've seen who, who's going to save Israel from the Roman captivity. Reading on, verse 31 which thou hast prepared before the face of thy people, a light to to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, people read this because it's a Gentiles, and they 
try to always oh, including the whole world. It's not talking about that. I'm going to prove it. Let me read on. Verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And uh, Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set. Listen to this. This child is set for the fall and rise again of many in Israel. So how the hell is he going to be a light to the Gentiles when in verse 34 it says that he set for the Israelites? That would make no sense. That would be uh, contradicting. But reading on, it says, And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So when it's talking about this sword piercing, this is metaphorically talking about she going to get cut. Uh, it says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. She's going to be cut to uh, through her spirit, through her soul, to see all the things that her son is going to have to go through. 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel. Now listen to this, y'all. That's the part I want to get to. It says of the tribe of Asher. What tribe did she belong to? Asher. But I thought all the northern kingdom was gone. No, they were still there. You had an Asherite that was living there during the time of Christ's birth. She was of the great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. Uh, verse 37, and she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake unto him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. I'll read this part again. And she coming in that instant gave likewise unto the Lord and spake of him. To all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. What does the word redemption mean? What does redeem mean? Redeem means to buy back or purchase, to get or win back. What was Christ winning back? What was Christ redeeming? He was redeeming and winning back the Israelites, not the whole world. Now, let's get Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's examine this word redemption. Ephesians 1 and 1, and it reads, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, Ephesus, and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. So this is Paul in one of his letters. He's letting you know who wrote it. He's letting you know he's an apostle of Christ and who it's addressed to. He says it is addressed to the saint that was at Ephesus. So let's find out who the saint is. Who is Paul talking about? Let's get Psalms chapter 148. You got to love the Bible, man. It's really a book that breaks down itself. Psalms chapter 148, and we're going to read verse 13, 14. 
It says, he also exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints. And it's talking about Christ. I'm sorry, it's talking about the Most High. When it says, he also exalted the horn of his people. Horns talking about power. Because where do you find a ram's power is in its horns. So it says that the Most High exalted the horn or the power of his people, the praise of all his saints. So God's people are also known as what? Saints. Now let's find out who his people are. It says, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. So when Paul was writing to the saints that was at Ephesus, who was he writing to? He was writing to those Israelites that lived in Ephesus, a providence of Rome. Oh, everybody can see this. But let me read on. Psalms 149, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And his praise in the congregation of saints. Y'all see this, right? That word saints again. Who are the saints? Verse 2. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Who are the saints according to the Bible, y'all? It is the Israelites. None other than the Israelites. I hope everybody is seeing this. It says, let them praise his name. In the dance, let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Who is the people once again? The Israelites, also known as who? The saints, verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. The saints, once again, being the Israelites. So going back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. Who are the saints? The Israelites. So this letter was written by Paul to the Israelites that was living where? Which are at Ephesus. And to the faithful in Jesus Christ. Read it on. Verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Verse 5, this is part I want to get to, y'all. Having predestinated what does the word predestinated mean? It means predetermined. Who was predetermined? Us, the Israelites. Read this again. Having predestinated or predetermined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So who was going to be adopted back to the Most High by way of Jesus Christ, by way of Yahweh Shai? The Israelites. This is nothing new. This was in the Old Testament. Let's prove it. Let's get Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. It's all through the Bible, man. You can start at 59 and read all the all through the rest of Isaiah, and you'll see it, man. Anyway, uh, Isaiah 59, verse 20. Watch this. 
and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. What does it mean to redeem again? To purchase, to save. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, said the Lord. So this is a future prophecy about the Redeemer or the Savior that come to Zion, come to the Israelites, and going to save us from what? Transgression. Like it tells you in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she shall bring forth the son. He shall save his people from their sin. The word transgression means sin. Verse 21, as for me, this is my covenant. Or the word covenant means contract. And this is most high speaking. As for me, this is my covenant with them. Contract with who? With the Israelites. Remember, verse 20 referred to us as Jacob. Remember, our name was changed to Israel. It says, said the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words, which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, said the Lord, from henceforth and forever. So who's the redeemed? Who's going to be saved? It's the Israelites. I hope y'all seeing this. All right, from there, let's get Isaiah chapter 63 now. I'm going to read a little bit more of this one. Isaiah chapter 63. How much time I got? I got 45 minutes. Isaiah 63, and we're going to start at verse 7. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praise of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. And the great goodness towards the house of Israel. So who who is it talking about? What's the, the topic, the subject matter? The house of Israel. And the most house goodness. Now watch this. Which he had bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. But he said, surely they are my people. Children that will not lie. So he was their savior. Every captivity that the Israelites have been in, and Meshava did a very informative, insightful, ex- extensive class on salvation, biblical salvation. Take that class out. Go back to the archives, y'all. Every captivity the Israelites have been in, the Most High has always, always sent us a Savior, somebody to save us from whatever captivity that we were in. This is what it's talking about. Verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. He redeemed them. Redeem means to save once again. It says, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled, given the history of us. Remember, stiff-necked people, rebellious-ass people. That's us. Excuse my French. Verse 10. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy, fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? So this is talking about when we came about of Egypt. Because the Most High sent us what? A savior, and that savior being Moses. 
Oh my goodness. Why is this happening right now? Verse come on man. I'm sorry, y'all. I gotta switch Bibles, my damn Bible. I'm sorry, I ain't gonna say damn Bible. My Bible is stuck together. Oh my goodness, the page stuck together on me. Um, what was I at? Verse twelve. So let me get it here, y'all. Give me just a second. I'm sorry, y'all. Bear with me. I hate when stuff like that. No, I'll do it right here. Isaiah 63 and verse, what was that, 12? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant to get another Bible, man, but you know how it is. I got so much stuff marked in here. I didn't, I didn't want to transfer over to a new Bible. Uh, I think, believe it was the pod, waste some surf on my pages or something. Anyway, verse 12. It says that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, driving the water before them to make himself an everlasting name that led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness that they should not stumble. As a beast going down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. Look down from heaven, and behold, from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy glory, where is thy zeal and thy strength, the sounding of thy bowels and of thy mercies toward me? Are they restrained? Doubtless, thou art our father. You hear this, right? Who is he the father of the Israelites? Though Abraham be ignorant of us, me Abraham don't know us, is if an Israel acknowledge us not, our forefather. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. Who is the most high, the redeemer of? Who is Christ the redeemer or savior of? Israel, verse 17. O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and harden our hearts from thy fear? Return for thy servant's sake, the tribes of thy inheritance. Man, talking about Israel, we're the redeemed. We're the ones that have been predestinated. Remember, all this coming from Ephesians, y'all. All right, let's get Jeremiah chapter three, uh, chapter 31, verse 11. Jeremiah 31, 11. Man, it's time went by quick. Jeremiah 31, 11. I ain't even get through half stuff I wanted to cover. Um, Jeremiah 31. Verse 11, and it reads, For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Y'all see this, right? Come on, man. Yeah, I'm going to beat this dead horse. Who the Most High always redeemed, redeemed the Israelites? Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7, and I'm going to start at verse 22. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee 
neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have that we have heard with our ears. This is Solomon. It says, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem or save for a people to himself? Like I said, man, read the Bible, please, y'all. Every captivity, the most high sent the Savior. Read on. And to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. Man, come on now. It says, for thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people, Israel, to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. Yes, I'm beating this dead horse. First Kings chapter 8. People really don't read the Bible, man. Can, can y'all understand now why uh, the church gives y'all half a Bible, the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs? This is why. First Kings chapter 8, verse 46. Verse King eight forty six and it reads, "If thy if they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them to the to the enemy, because we know we went into captivity for uh, idolatry for breaking the God for breaking the Most High uh, law, statutes, and commandments. It says so that they carry them away captives into the land of their enemy far near. This has always been our history, man." Verse 47, yet if they bethink, if they shall bethink themselves in the land, whether they were carried captives and repent, mean change, and make supplications unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, we have sinned and have done perversely. We have committed wickedness and so return unto thee with all their heart. And with all their soul in the land of their enemies, it didn't say friends. In the land of our enemies is the lands we're going to be captives in, the lands we currently are captives in, which led them away captives, and pray unto thee toward their land, Israel, which thou gave it unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, Jerusalem, and the house which I have built for thy name. For thy name. This is Solomon talking, talking about Solomon's temple, verse 49. Then hear, their, then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. And forgive thy people that have sinned against thee and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee. And give them compassion before them who carry them captives. Y'all, can y'all see this theme, this recurring theme? Israel has been in many captivities. But the Most High always sent the Savior. It's no different by the time you get to the Roman captivity in the New Testament. Well, you know, that they may have compassion on them. For they be thy people and thy inheritance, which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron. I hope everybody is seeing this. I hope I ain't, I ain't lost nobody, man. Read on, verse 52. 
that thy eyes may be open unto the supplication of thy servant. Supplication is request. And unto the supplication of thy people Israel. So hearken unto them in all that they call for unto thee. That's specifically to the Israelites, y'all. I hope everybody's seeing this, man. Israel would do good, praise the Most High. Then we mess up, fall into idolatry, break commandments. He sent us into a captivity. Then he was sent a savior. Like during the time of the uh, Babylonian captivity, what the Most High did was he sent us a savior. (laughs) Those saviors during the uh, Babylonian captivity, or actually the uh, Persian Mede captivity, let me say, the saviors, the brothers that uh, brought Israel back, that reinforced our heritage and our culture was the brothers Jerubabel, um, the brother uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, the brother Joshua. They were the, the brothers that uh, had to bring us back to our identity, our culture, and who we are as a people, man. Go back and read the books of Nehemiah, the books of Ezra, how Nehemiah had to tell us to put our wives, our strange wives that we had got from the other nations away. Kids didn't even speak Hebrew. Kids didn't even speak Hebrew. That's how bad we were as a nation. So the Most High sent those brothers to save us to keep our culture going, our heritage going. During the time of the Greeks, the Most High sent who? The Maccabees. He sent the Maccabees to save us from what? From Hellenization, the fourth Hellenization that was done under uh, the Seleucid dynasty, under uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and to save us from the, uh, the voluntary conversion that was committed by our people that wanted to be Greeks, that wanted to do as the Greeks, that circumcised themselves and made themselves like the Greeks. So by the time you get to the New Testament, you got Israelites that ain't circumcised, and that becomes a big argument between Paul and the other apostles. You got Timothy, whose daddy, who would say, was a Greek, meaning what? He was Hellenized. They were sweating Paul about circumcising Timothy or Timotheus, who had a Greek name. Why do we have these Greek names, man? People don't put two and two together. We had these Greek names because we we were, uh, we assembled. And I'm going to get into that, man, hopefully next week, man, Lord willing, because that's my time. I think this is a good stopping place before I continue with, uh, with the class, yeah, this is a good stopping place, man. So, uh, the water, Michelle, for hooking up the broadcast. Uh, the water, everybody, for tuning in and supporting Blog Talk. I hope y'all got some edification out of the class. Uh, if you got any questions concerning this class or any other topics, any other biblical questions, man, or you just want to talk to a brother, man, hit me up at uh, 314-482-9110. And until next week, y'all, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Southern Pod Tuesday, Southern Pod Tuesday, Southern Pod Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, I'm going to say shalom.